Get your Bibles and open to Psalm chapter 12. Psalm chapter 12. I've entitled this sermon, A Lament. Um, just for you to know, uh, the sermon was, the psalm was chosen about six weeks ago. So I believe God has sovereignly brought us to this place today to hear his word. Psalm chapter 12. This is the word of God. It is true. It is right. It is pure. It is the rock-solid foundation upon which we stand. To the choir master, according to the Sheminith, a psalm of David. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boast. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver, refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O oh Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Lord, we come to you and your word today with heavy arms. as we've sung in song and begged you, speak to us. Speak to us, O oh God. Speak to us today. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 12 is a communal lament written by David under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it is the cry of the anointed king as he despairs the desperate situation that he finds himself in. Possibly it was penned during the rebellion and betrayal of Absalom, his son, and the attempted overthrow of his kingdom. Or it could have been written also as a complaint living during the ungodly rule of King Saul. David cries out his 
lament. When the culture corrodes, the godly groan. When the culture corrodes, the godly are grieved and they groan. Charles Spurgeon said of this passage that we should bewail our current situation. When the culture has corroded, when the faithful are abandoning the faith, when the psalmist is surrounded by liars and flatterers and prowlers and the vile, where does he turn? Where can we turn? Where do we cry? We cry along with the psalmist. Save, O Lord. Save, O Lord. As we survey Psalm 12 today, we'll see three elements here. The wicked, the righteous, the Lord. As we examine each of their attributes, may the Lord convict, confirm, and encourage us in our own time of desperation. So let's look at point number one. The wicked. The attributes of the wicked. Verse two. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. One of the first attributes of the wicked is they lie. They lie. The psalmist says everyone, everyone. He looks around and he sees them all lying to their neighbors. Falsehood is the norm for the wicked. Psalm 5.9, for there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. The psalmist so profoundly and, and, and in such incredible picturesque language shows that when the mouth opens, only putridness spews forth, lies and corruption. Also, they flatter with their tongue. 2a says, with flattering lips, they speak. The wicked lie, the wicked flatter. What does it mean to flatter? They, they say whatever you want to hear. Like the adulterous woman in Proverbs 5, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood. Her feet go down to death. The flattering lips of the wicked saying what you want to hear, like the adulterous woman speaking lies, saying no one's going to find out, no one will know, my husband is away, he'll never find out, you'll never be caught, just telling you everything you want to hear. They lie, they flatter, they have a double heart. Their heart is not pure. It is not devoted. It is divided. They are double-minded, unstable in all they do. They're not anchored to the Word of God. They're, they're drifting. There is no devotion there. A heart that has in separate compartments one life and another life. And those two never meet. Single-hearted devotion is what we're called to, not double-heartedness. They are proud. Verse 3 and 4. 
May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our, tru- with our tongues we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? It's the, it's the, it's the epitome of pride. That they're saying that, that these lips that they did not create, this tongue that they did not create, that they are master over it. They have mastery over their whole self, their body, their heart. And they deny the sovereign God who created those lips, who created that tongue. I teach reading, as most of you know, with my children in elementary school. It's with the tongue and with the lips that we, we pronounce words and we phonetically make meaning. And these proud boasters believe that they can say whatever they want and no one will know the better. They are proud. Finally, two more. They prowl. They prowl in verse 8. In verse 8, it says, On every side the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Always on the hunt for evil, looking, lusting, like Satan, seeking who they may devour, always eating, always consuming, but never satisfied. Always eating, always consuming, but never satisfied. Like Edmund in the Chronicles of Nardia, eating the cursed candy, Turkish delight, the more he, he, the more he eats, the hungrier he gets. Sin never satisfies. Hear me, brother, sister, friend. Sin never satisfies. Finally, they exalt vileness. Verse 8 again, as vileness is exalted among the children of men as they prowl, vileness is exalted. We we only have to pick up the, the newspaper or turn on the television to see, just coming out of Pride Month, quote-unquote Pride Month, vileness being exalted. Those that would stand for righteousness are made fun of, are mocked, are scorned, and those that would exalt vileness are held in high esteem. As we see these attributes in the wicked, How does the righteous one, how does the psalmist David respond? What are the attributes of the righteous? Well, first we see the righteous, they are humble. They are humble. We see that in verse 1, simply beginning, Save, O Lord. Save, O Lord. David knows where to turn for help. He knows he needs help. He knows he is lost. He knows he is struggling. He knows he is helpless. And so he turns to God for help and says, Save, O Lord. That is where we must turn during this time as well. In humility, on our knees, prostrate before the Lord. Save us, O Lord. Help us, O Lord. You alone are the one who saves. They are humble. How else are the righteous? The righteous are grieved. When David sees the the vanishing of the godly, he cries out, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of men. As he looks around him and he sees faith diminishing, 
As he sees vileness growing, he is grieved. He doesn't just cluck his tongue and roll his eyes and point and make fun, but he's, he's grieved to see those who are walking away from faithfully following Yahweh. Next, they are angered. Verse 3 is where David begins to pray. He prays to Yahweh. <laughs> and what a prayer. Verse 3. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boast. David pleads with the Lord to shut the mouth of the sinful, proud boaster. As he sees the pride, as he sees the lies, as he sees the exaltation of vileness, he responds in, in righteous indignation. Stop them, O God. Shut them up from boasting proudly against you, the sovereign creator of the universe. Notice that, that David doesn't say, I'm going to cut off the lips of the proud boaster. But he pleads with God to move, to act, to help on God's behalf. The righteous are humble. The righteous are grieved. The righteous are angered. The righteous pray. They plead. They cry. They shout. They call on the name of the Lord. For the righteous know that he is their only help. He is their only help. And so that brings us to our third point, the Lord. The other person in this passage is the Lord himself. How does the Lord respond? The Lord hears. Look at verse 5. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan. So here, simply, we see that, that God himself hears. He hears the poor's plight. Those who are poor in spirit, those of us even, even now today, as we cry out for the Lord, because the needy groan, who could be more needy than our congregation right now as we come before God and ask for his help? Because the poor pleaded, uh, plundered, because the needy groaned, the Lord hears. Beloved, know that God hears us. He hears our pleads. He hears our cries. He is not sitting up in heaven with his hands folded or his ears or his fingers in his ears stopped up or away somewhere on a business trip. He's listening. He's eager to help his children. The Lord hears our prayers. The Lord acts. 5b, look again, because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. In many ways, a, a, a terrifying phrase, I will get up, I will arise from my throne, from my sovereign throne to act on behalf of my people. It reminds me of teaching my little children, and I'm sitting at my teaching chair in my little desk with a few kids around me, and I tell the kid over there, hey, you guys need to settle down, and they ignore me a little bit. 
And I say again, you guys didn't really need to settle down. Listen to Mr. Brian. And they continue to ignore me. And then I arise. <laughs> I stand up. And they go, uh-oh. <laughs> He's standing up. And many times all I have to do is stand up and give a look, a point, or a snap. And they come back to order. How much more the sovereign God of the universe, when he hears our plight, he says, I will now arise. Our third point about our great God, the Lord protects. Look at the next passage. What does he do when he arises? He says, I will place him in the safety for which he longs. He hears the cry, he hears the plead of the righteous one, and he stands up and he comes to bring protection and safety. That is what we long for, isn't it? To be held in the arms of our loving God, to be reassured, to remember that he is our Lord, he is our Father. Psalm 55, 18 says, He redeems my soul in safety. Romans 8, 31, If God is for us, who can be against us? The Lord protects. Verse 7 tells us, The Lord preserves. David now speaking and tells the Lord, You will, you will keep us from this generation forever. You will keep us from this generation forever. The Lord will keep his righteous one, the anointed Davidic king, and he will keep his chosen people, his righteous ones. How will he keep them? How will he keep us? By his word. By his word. Look at what the, what the passage says. The words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times, you, O Lord, will keep them. The them that refers to his words. Yes, he will keep us, his people. But here the psalmist is saying these words that are pure, these words that are like silver, these words that have no dross, no impurity, God himself will keep his words. David likens the words of the Lord to, to the purest silver, refined by fire. As the, as the, as the silver is, is, is fired, as it is heated, the dross or the impurities are come up and it's, they're scraped off, they're taken away. And that's one way to continue to refine that silver. But David says, no, it's not just refined once, it's refined seven times. A number that signifies completion, fullness, or, or per perfection. God's words are the purest words, the true words, in contrast to the wicked's lies and flattery and fluff. God's words are pure. They are true. They are righteous altogether. Psalm 18:30 says, "This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him." Psalm 119, 140, your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. The psalmist says, I've tested your words. I've tested your promise. It's true. It's really, it's really true. 
Psalm 119, 142. Your righteousness is righteousness forever, and your law is true. Proverbs 35. Every word of God proves true. The words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver, refined in a furnace, on the ground, purified seven times, you, O Lord, will keep them. When the faithful vanish, when wickedness is on the rise, where does David turn? Where do we turn? David remembers the words of the Lord, and we would do well to do just the same. One more encouragement for us as we move toward our close. As brothers and sisters, we must remember that when we look and see the wickedness around us, that we don't just look out to see the wickedness around us. We must look in as well. And follow the example of David, who in Psalm 139, 23, 24 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there are any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Yes, the righteous are grieved. The righteous are angered. The righteous plead, the righteous pray, but may we have the same response to the sin that's in our own hearts. May a sin within ourselves anger us, grieve us, and cause us to pray and confess and cry out to the Lord on our behalfs as well. The words of the Lord are true. The words of the Lord are true. He will keep them. They are pure. He will keep them. In closing, turn with me to Romans, Romans chapter 8. We're going to end by reading these pure words of the Lord to help us during this time. Romans 8, starting with verse 18 to the end of the chapter. The very words we're talking about, the pure words that have been tested, that have been tried, that have been refined like a silver, these are these very words, and these words are for us specifically today. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, 
who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who, for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his promise, to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for ministering to us today in our time of need. Lord, we need you, as we often sing, every hour. We need you. We need you right now. We pray for your people. They'll be strengthened, encouraged. We pray that we will continue to hold on to your word. Hold us, Lord. We know that you will because you've promised that you will. You are our God, and we are your people. It's in your blessed Son's name we pray. Amen.